morning. My name is Nick. Um, please follow along with me as I read this morning's sermon text, which is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my every sin is before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You may be seated. Join me in prayer again. Lord, you are a great God. You're a great God for so many reasons, but this morning we thank you particularly that you took us from being people who had no taste for heaven's joys, had no life within us, and you made us your sons and daughters. You opened our eyes, you gave us life, you saved us, you redeemed us, you rescued us from our sin. And so this morning, Lord, we don't bring offerings to you, we come with nothing in our hands, we bring simply to the cross, we cling and we say with the psalmist, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So Lord, would you do that in us? Break us, humble us, Give us a contrite heart that understands just how deep the pit is from which you have rescued us. Oh God, we need to see your mercy today. We need to see your abundant mercy. 
Our sins are great. Your mercy is greater still. And so, Lord, help us to catch that. Help us to be captured by that. Change us. Lord, so often our hearts are cold and dead. So often our hearts are rock solid. Hardness and callousness pervade us. Oh, God, would you break the hard hearts? Would you break the rocky ground of our hearts that we might receive your word, that we might be changed by your word, that we might be sanctified by your truth? God, do your work in your way, in your people right now. I pray you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we do on the first Sunday of every month, we're going to obey our Savior this morning by remembering his death for our sins as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Now, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have just a little taste of bread and a little half sip of juice. But these little tiny elements, physical elements, represent something vastly more significant than themselves. Think of the significance of a meal with someone. Now, we live in a fast food world where we're often just eating on the way to something else, but that was not the case in New Testament times. A meal shared with someone was a whole event. A meal shared with someone signified the desire for relationship, the desire for communion, the desire to just hang out in each other's presence. In fact, this is what we often call the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. Communion implies closeness and depth of relationship. That's what the Lord's Supper is designed to cultivate in us. Communion with God. Communion with our Creator. By remembering Jesus' death for our sins... And by remembering his mercy that covers our sin, we get to enjoy this relationship with our God that Jesus has definitively secured for us. So that's really the question that I began with and what led me to this text is, how's your relationship with God? It's a question I've been asking myself. How's your relationship with God? To do a little checkup. Sometimes we, we go to the doctor and we call it a checkup. We call it a, a physical. Well, l- let's have a checkup this morning. Not physical, but spiritual. A checkup to ask the question how's your relationship with God? Are you characterized by coldness or hardness toward God? Are you characterized by, by warmness and, and depth of emotion and, and embracing the reality of who God is for you and the relationship that you have for him, praise God. But how's your relationship with God? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told that we must examine ourselves before we partake of the Lord's Supper, lest we partake in an unworthy manner. So my desire this morning is to help all of us, including myself, to examine ourselves and our relationship with God. Let's, let's prepare ourselves for communion. Let's prepare ourselves for partake of the Lord's Supper by allowing God's Word to show us our great need for a Savior. 
Psalm 51 is a perfect psalm to help us this morning evaluate our relationship with God and help us fix our eyes on the greatness and glory of our Savior, our all-sufficient Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a psalm that is intended to help us see both the ugliness of our own sin and our need for the amazing grace of God that we just sang about. Psalm 51 is truly the best news for the worst sinners. This is the best news for the worst sinners. In fact, look again at what David pleads for in verses 10 through 12. Look what he pleads for. Do you want this? That's my question to begin. Do you want this? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see what David wants? It's a restored relationship with his God that he's pleading for. And that's what I want to help us pursue this morning as well. Now, Psalm 51 is one of a handful of psalms that contains a historical marker in the title. And so we're told about the situation that prompts this confession. Do you see the title before verse 1? Ever we read, have mercy on me, O God. Look at the title. It says, to the choir master, which indicates that it was to be sung, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Well, this is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. David's sin with Bathsheba. We're told about this historical event in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Here's what happened. Just a brief summary of what leads up to Psalm 51. King David, a man after God's own heart, the one who had slew Goliath with just a smooth stone, King David was walking on the roof of his palace and he saw a woman named Bathsheba who was taking a bath. She was purifying herself. She's described as very beautiful. And when David saw her, he lusted after her. Now Bathsheba was married to one of David's mighty men named Uriah. In fact, most scholars believe that Uriah must have been one of David's most trusted bodyguards since he lived so close to David's personal residence. Evidently, David had a close personal relationship to allow Uriah to live this close to him. And in blatant disregard for God, disregard for Bathsheba and Uriah and the entire nation, David called Bathsheba to himself and slept with her. David sent her back to her house and he prepared to go on living his life as if nothing had happened when he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant. And so David plotted and schemed as to how to cover up his sin. Instead of confessing it, instead of uh, owning up to what he had done, he plotted and schemed. And the first thing he did was to call Uriah home from battle and encourage him to go sleep with his wife. You see, David had hoped that if Uriah would come home and go be with his wife, that everyone would think that the baby belongs to Uriah. 
However, David's plan did not work because Uriah, described as an honorable man, was doggedly committed to serving his people. So, instead of again confessing his sin and owning up to it, David did the only other thing he knew to do. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield with a note to the commanding general that he put Uriah on the front lines of battle and withdraw from him so that he would be isolated and thus killed. This is how how deep David's sin had become. He had Uriah carry his own death note. David commanded the murder of the only person who stood in the way of this cover-up scheme that he was implementing. David's blatant disregard for everyone but himself is absolutely shocking in 2 Samuel 11. And so after Uriah is extinguished, David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And in 2 Samuel 11, it ends with this simple statement. Here's how the entire story ends. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What an understatement. Really? You think so? What David did dishonored the Lord. God could have struck David down in his wrath at that very moment, but God in his graciousness, in his kindness, in his mercy, did something else. God sent the prophet Nathan to David, and that's what the title of Psalm 51 is referring to. In fact, let me read what happened when Nathan came to David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan. Notice who sent Nathan? The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. There came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Nathan goes on to describe the punishment that God is sending upon David because of his sin. And then verse 13, 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is to be born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. 
There's so much to say in response to this, but let me say this. One of the most powerful truths we learn when we compare 2 Samuel 11 and 12 to Psalm 51 is the power of God's word to change our hearts. Notice the power of the word of God. Here is David, who at every step along the way refused to confess his sin and own up to it. He was selfish, lustful, adulterous, lying, deceiving, murderer, continuing to plot as to how to cover up his sin. But then we read in Psalm 51, a man who is broken and humble and concerned about God's glory and the good of others. And my question is, what happened between 2 Samuel 11 and Psalm 51? What happened? Is this even the same man? Yes. It was God's word sent from the prophet Nathan to this man that revealed his sin to him and his need for God's grace. And it's the word of God that is powerful to transform our hearts and renew our affections. You see, David's heart had grown cold and callous because of his sin. He was more concerned with covering his tracks, deleting his browser history, than he was about worshiping his God. But in an instant, in an instant, God shattered all of David's pride and imparted to him this fresh sensitivity to his sin and this need for God's grace. This is one of the arguments for not only regular Bible reading, but regular church attendance. Because we don't know when our heart is cold and callous. We don't know when we've fallen into this pattern like David is. But we have to expose ourselves to the word of God constantly that God might inflame, that he might, that he might help us see the hardness and the callousness, that we might repent and turn to God and have this cleanness, this restored relationship that we so desperately need. So as we look at Psalm 51 this morning, that's my prayer that God would do that right now, that he might use me as the prophet Nathan in your heart and in my own heart to break us, to humble us, to give us that contrite heart that the Lord receives. We need God to take the hammer of his word, shatter our frozen hearts in order to restore us to himself. David was a filthy sinner who did some horrendous things. But friends, we are no different than David. Our sins may be different than his, but our sins are no less heinous and wicked in God's sight. This psalm, Psalm 51, will be incredibly boring to you if you see yourself as less sinful than David. This psalm is recorded in God's word in order to be a mirror into our own souls. The pleas of Psalm 51 are given to us to be every sinner's plea before their God. We too need to make this confession this morning because we too are often ruled by selfishness instead of by God's clear commands. We need to make this confession this morning because we too love the creation more than we love the creator. We too need to make this confession this morning because we too climb over God's boundaries in pursuit of what we really want. We need to make this confession this morning because we too desire pleasures and experiences that are forbidden by God for our good. 
We need to make this confession this morning because we too seek to seize the throne of our lives rather than submitting to God's rule and reign over us. So let's allow David's example of repentance and desire for this restored relationship with God in Psalm 51 challenge us right now in hopes that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Here are four confessions we need to make immediately. Right now, this is not one of those sermons where I'm trying to teach you something that's going to help you years from now. I'm talking about right now. Here are four confessions we need to make this morning, particularly as we approach the Lord's Supper. Number one, let's confess our need for God's mercy. Let's confess our need for God's mercy. And let's do that right now. This is one of the most shocking, striking aspects of this psalm to me. David passionately confesses his need for the mercy of God. In fact, notice nine requests in the first nine verses for forgiveness. Nine requests for forgiveness. The first one's in verse one, the first half. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. David knows that his supreme and primary need is for the mercy of God. He needs God to treat him better than he deserves. Notice David doesn't appeal to God on the basis of his own righteousness. David doesn't remind God that he had the courage to fight Goliath. David doesn't remind God that he had been leading God's people for over 20 years. David doesn't rest on the hundreds of hymns that he has written. David appeals to God on the only hope that he had, that God might show mercy to him and forgive his sin according to his steadfast love. David has no other defense. He doesn't try to justify his sin. He doesn't try to explain away what he has done. He just confesses that he is in deep need of God to be merciful to him. Every other request in this psalm is based on this first request. David needs mercy from God. David needs God to treat him far better than his sins deserve, and so do we all. The second request is in verse 1 as well. Blot out my transgressions. David asks for God to erase his rebellion. Snuff it out. Blot it out, God. The third confession or third plea for forgiveness is in verse 2, the first part, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David sees his sin as a deep stain on the fabric of his soul. His sin is like a permanent marker on his heart, and he's asking God to scrub it away by his grace. Notice he doesn't ask for a quick rinse. He asks to be washed thoroughly from his iniquity. He desires the stain of his sin to be completely blotted out. The fourth request is cleanse me from my sin at the second part of verse 2. So it's clear that David feels guilty under the guilt of his sin. Friends, sin may bring pleasure for a short time, but it always leaves its mess behind. David cannot cleanse himself. No water, no soap can remove the filth that has accumulated around his heart. And so he pleads with God to cleanse him from his sin. The fifth prayer for forgiveness is in verse 7, the first part. Notice, purge me with hyssop, David prays. The word purge literally means to de-sin. He's asking God to de-sin him, remove the sin altogether. Now, the word hyssop is a very important word in the Bible. 
Hyssop refers to the plant that was used to spread the blood on the doorpost of the homes of God's people during the Passover in Egypt. It was also used by priests to sprinkle blood on the people in order to declare them to be clean. And David is asking God here to be his ultimate priest, to purge all the uncleanness from his heart. And the good news, friends, of the gospel is that this is what the Savior does for those who trust in him. With his very own blood, he purges us, he cleanses, he scrubs our souls and our guilt and our punishment away from us. Jesus Christ has descended us in God's sight. He has purged us with hyssop, and he has purged that sin from our account. The sixth prayer for, repent or for, for forgiveness is, wash me, in verse 7, and I shall be whiter than snow. So David wants purity to replace his stains. David would love the song, Nothing But the Blood, that we sing. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The seventh prayer for forgiveness is in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know, David is praying for a renewed joy in his spirit. Sin is the biggest joy killer of them all. It is impossible for true joy and unrepentant sin to coexist in the same heart. And so David pleads for God's mercy to restore him to rejoicing, to hear joy and gladness. The eighth request is hide your face from my sins. In verse 9, David wants God to destroy his sin, to remove it as far as the east is from the west. And the ninth request is blot out all my iniquities at the end of verse 9. He doesn't just want some of his sins blotted out. He wants all of them erased from his account. Blot them all out, God. And so these nine requests, these nine pleas for mercy from God should be our constant prayers We must constantly come before God and confess our need for Him to cleanse us, to be merciful in this way. We must never appeal to God on the basis of who we are. We must never seek to earn His forgiveness by what we do. His mercy alone is our only hope of cleansing. 1 John 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know that he will forgive our sins because Jesus Christ paid them in full on the cross. And so right now, cry out to God for his mercy. Confess your need for mercy from God. Make verse 1 your daily, your constant prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. I need your mercy, O oh God. The second confession that we need to confess right now is let's confess the seriousness of our sin. Let's confess our need for God's mercy, but let's also confess the seriousness of our sin. Verses 3 through 6 are incredibly instructive. Instead of just confessing individual acts of sin, David does something much deeper here. He acknowledges 
the wickedness of his heart that led to these sinful acts that he committed. He doesn't just say that he made a mistake and that he should have done things differently. No, he's grieved by how deep his sin is in him and how he has offended and defied the holy God of the universe. Notice how David confesses the seriousness and depth of his sin. First, in verse 3, he says that his sin is always before him. His sin is always before him. He cannot get his sin out of his mind. His guilt is branded onto his consciousness. The video in his mind keeps playing his sin over and over. It has affected everything about his life. So he says his sin is always before him. Secondly, he admits in verse 4 that his sin has ultimately been against God. Look at verse 4 carefully. David says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, by saying against you only, David doesn't mean that his sin didn't hurt anyone else. Of course it did. Bathsheba, Uriah, the child, the entire nation of Israel was affected by David's sin. But David is emphasizing here before God that his sin is ultimately and primarily against God. That's what he means by only. Friends, when we sin, we sin primarily against God. Sin is evil in God's sight. Nothing in the universe is as serious as sinning against a holy God. In fact, David acknowledges that God is just to judge his sin at the end of verse 4. He knows God would be totally just to condemn him to hell. Because it is sheer mercy that we are not immediately struck down every time we sin against God. The depth of our sin is great and we need to acknowledge that it is against God primarily. Third, David acknowledges the seriousness of his sin in verse 5 by admitting sin has always been dwelling in him. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, again, David is not saying that his mother is to blame for his sinfulness. Verse 5 is an acknowledgement of original sin. The fact that we are corrupted by sin even from conception. We are born sinners. This is who we are. This is one of the most sobering truths taught in the Scripture. We sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. We are born with this insatiable desire to go our own way and do our own thing. And David acknowledges that before God. He doesn't just confess his sin, but his sinfulness, his corruption, his depravity. Friends, God's grace will never be amazing to us if we don't understand just how deep and serious against God our sin is. And the good news is that when we own up to how deep and serious our sin is, we can acknowledge it before God. And we can be rescued from our depravity by the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no pit so deep that the mercy of God is not deeper still. One of the most challenging aspects of this psalm to me is that David refuses to blame shift here. There's not one hint in this psalm of David trying to blame someone else for his wickedness and rebellion. You see, very often we find ourselves good at finding other sinners to blame for our sin, right? If only my parents had raised me better. If only my boss were more flexible. If only I'd married someone different. If only my church would care for me better. 
If we're ever going to find freedom from the guilt that God offers, we have to start by owning up to our utter sinfulness. Our biggest problem does not reside outside of us in our circumstances or in our relationships. Our biggest problem is within us. Here's how Paul Tripp said it helpfully. He said it this way. It is only when you begin to accept that your greatest problem in all of life is not what has happened or been done to you that you begin to get excited about the rescuing grace of Jesus Christ. It is only when you begin to accept that your greatest need is something with which you came into the world that you begin to hunger for the help that only God can give you. Friends, there is liberty in acknowledging the seriousness of our depravity before God. So right now, admit that you are stained to the core and that your only hope is the mercy of God. Confess this morning the seriousness of your sin before God. Third, we need to confess right now our desire for restored relationship. This is for believers. I believe everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord has a desire to have a restored relationship with God. You see, David doesn't just want to be free from his guilt. David doesn't just want quick forgiveness so that he can go on leading his life without fear of judgment. Notice again the prayers of verses 10 through 12. Notice verse 10 through 12 again. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's one of the marks of true repentance. One of the marks of true repentance is an insatiable desire for God himself. See, I'm afraid we're far too quick to just merely ask for forgiveness just so that we no longer have to feel guilty. A restored relationship with God should be the goal of our confession of sin. David wants a restored relationship with God. He wants to be pure. He asks God to create in him a clean heart. He pleads with God not to abandon him. He humbly asks for a contrite heart that enjoys the joy of the salvation he once knew in God's presence. See, David doesn't just want to look good on the outside. David isn't confessing his sin just so he can have a restored reputation. David wants to be changed on the inside. He wants transformation that only God can give us. He wants the ability to know and enjoy his God. This is why we should want forgiveness. We want forgiveness so that we can know God, so that we can enjoy our God. We should want forgiveness because we cannot imagine continuing grieving the heart of our God. Far too often we merely say sorry without being genuinely sorrowful for our sin and wanting this restored relationship with him. Sin damages our relationship with God. And therefore, we need to daily pray for a restored relationship with our God. So let's now, let's now confess that desire that we have to have that restored relationship that God offers through Jesus. And fourth and finally, and we'll do this one quickly, we need to confess a passion to glorify our God. We need to confess this morning as we come to the Lord's table our passion to see God glorified in our lives. And so notice verse 13 and through the end of the chapter, 
that David declares this desire to live pleasing to God from this day forward. I think this is another mark of true repentance. True repentance leads to a desire to live for God's glory. Just notice briefly some of the ways David confesses his desire to glorify God. In verse 13, he says he wants to tell other sinners about the sweet mercy of God to him. In verses 14 and 15, he wants to praise God with his lips. In verses 16 and 17, he wants to offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable, that are pleasing to God. In verses 18 and 19, notice he wants the community of God to be blessed by God. Again, what happened from 2 Samuel 11 and this man who cared nothing about anyone else but himself to Psalm 51 and this man who wants others to see God glorified, what happened? God's word got a hold of this man. Forgiven people are changed by God and empowered by God for a life of witness and worship that glorifies God for the good of others. And so as we confess our sinfulness this morning to God, may God give us this same passion, this passion to spread His name and magnify the beauty of His character in our lives, in our world. And so friends, Psalm 51 It's a great example for us of what repentance should look like in our lives even now. How's your relationship with God? Are you cold and hard and calloused? Does sin reign unchecked in your life and your heart? I urge you, confess your need for the mercy of God. Confess your need for God to be merciful to you. Confess your desire to have this restored relationship with Him as you confess the seriousness of your sin and as you plead with God to help you glorify Him in your life. Now, as we transition to the Lord's Supper, I want to ask that important question that always comes along with hearing a text like this. And the question is, how in the world can God be just and just forgive David of his sin? How can the holy God of the universe answer such a prayer for mercy? And the answer, of course, is found in what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. See, at the cross, our God proved his justice by punishing his son for all the sins of all of his people. The only way we could ever know the mercy and forgiveness of God and a restored relationship with him is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way. And that is what the Lord's Supper represents. That's why we partake this morning. Jesus' body was broken so that we could receive mercy from God. Jesus' blood was poured out so that we could be washed whiter than snow. See, this is a table for depraved sinners who acknowledge the seriousness of their sin against God. And this is a table for those who delight in Jesus, who purchased all the blessings of mercy and grace that have been given to us by our God. So if you're here and you don't treasure Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do not partake of these elements. This is not for you. Just simply pass the plate to the next person, but utilize this time to pray this prayer. Just keep your Bible open to Psalm 51 and just pray this prayer. Oh God, help me. Create in me a clean heart. Give me this mercy. But if you are trusting in Jesus alone, 
for your right standing with God, if you are desiring that restored relationship with him, if you've been baptized in obedience to Jesus and are in right relationship to his body, the church, then we invite you to partake of these elements as a visual symbol of your repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we partake of this supper, let's let's take a moment of examination to seriously evaluate our relationship with God. The music team's going to come. The deacons who are going to pass out the elements are going to come. And we're going to sing this song, The Power of the Cross. And as we sing this song, let me ask you, is there known sin that you need to confess and turn away from right now? Ask God to reveal your sin to you so that you might repent of it, so that you might turn away from it. And as we evaluate here, we should all be confessing the depth and seriousness of our sin before God. And as we evaluate, I pray that all of us would run to Jesus alone for forgiveness and restoration. Let's sing this song, The Power of the Cross. Mm -hmm.